0: Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Emily Gilliland from Portland, Oregon, and it's Thursday, May 27th. Today, back in the day on May 27th, 1991, Rodney McCray made baseball history when he ran through the outfield fence at Civic Stadium. McCray was chasing a fly ball deep in the outfield and while he initially made the catch, he quite literally dropped the ball when he broke through the wall. Fortunately for Portlanders, McCray was a player on the opposing Vancouver Canadians, but it still happened here in the Rose City, and what we know today as Providence Park. McCray wasn't hurt, at least not physically. However, the infamous clip was played on repeat in newscasts around the country, and today that very same clip lives on at the Baseball Hall of Fame, where it is played on loop. And today, back in the day, on May 27, 1930, the Chrysler Building was open to the public. It stands at 1,046 feet tall, and at the time, it was the tallest building in the world. That only lasted for 11 months, though, when the Empire State Building took its title. Today the Chrysler Building still holds the title for the tallest brick building in the world with a steel framework. Not quite as glamorous, but impressive nonetheless. Today, back in the day on May 27, 1679, the Habeas Corpus Act was passed in England by Parliament and King Charles II. Notably, this was not the origin of the writ of habeas corpus, which prevented unlawful imprisonment of freemen. However, the 1679 act took the ancient writ a step further. According to this update passed 342 years ago, prisoners had the right to challenge their detention with a judicial review of their imprisonment. This act inspired the often touted, though not always practiced, cornerstone of the American judicial system. Innocent until proven guilty. Today, we'll start with your quick six news headlines, and we have an interview with Cameron Witten from the Black Resilience Fund. X-ray. First up, it's today's quick six local rundown. Two demonstrations in Portland on Tuesday marked the one-year anniversary of George Floyd's death. The pair of protests, the first in Southeast Portland in the early afternoon, and the second downtown in the evening, took place in support of police reform and racial justice. Both were generally peaceful in nature. Demonstrators at the first protest gathered at 4 p.m., first occupying Revolution Hall before marching to the Burnside Bridge, where they sat in silence for nine minutes and 29 seconds, the exact length of time which Officer Derek Chauvin knelt on Floyd's neck on the day of his death. A second protest began at 8 p.m. near the Multnomah County Justice Center, where a familiar standoff began between the crowd and police. Following a dumpster fire that was extinguished by firefighters, an unlawful assembly was declared around 10 p.m. Officers then deployed smoke grenades, with protesters launching bottles and fireworks in return. Fire protesters were arrested, four of whom were charged with criminal mischief, and the Fifth charged with first-degree arson. Other demonstrations across the country did not see similar interactions between protesters and the police. Now it's your daily dose of data. 64.4% of Oregonians have received at least one dose of a COVID-19 vaccine. Multnomah County is now at 67% vaccination. On Tuesday, Governor Brown announced that all Oregon counties who reach 65% vaccination will move to the lower risk level. Today, Multnomah County will join Benton, Hood River, Washington, and Lincoln Counties at the lower risk level. This risk level allows for 50% capacity for indoor dining, gyms, and indoor entertainment, like theaters. Retail store capacity is now at 75%, and indoor gatherings of up to 10 people are allowed. Portland Public Schools said Albina Vision Trust will be first in line to get its headquarters if it relocates. On Tuesday night, PPS approved a resolution allowing Albina Vision Trust the first chance to buy their headquarters should they choose to sell. PPS is headquartered at the Blanchard Educational Service Center in the middle of the historic Albina neighborhood. Albina Vision Trust is a nonprofit created to steward the vision for the future of Lower Albina. The nonprofit is not the only group interested in the PPS headquarters, So even though PPS isn't selling, the endorsement of the organization is meaningful. The resolution states that it, quote, stands firmly behind the Albina vision, a community led reinvention and transformation of the 94 acres of lower Lower Albina from which thousands of primarily black residents were forcibly displaced over decades of urban renewal. Oregon lawmakers vote to close a loophole That allowed underage purchases of vape products online. Under House Bill 2261, all nicotine vape devices and components will no longer be allowed for online sale. The bill previously passed through the Oregon House of Representatives with nearly unanimous approval. On Wednesday, it passed out of the Oregon Senate on its way to Governor Kate Brown. Oregon Attorney General Ellen Rosenblum Applauded the bill's passing, stating that rising rates of vaping among teens, despite a decline in underage cigarette smoking, poses significant and avoidable health risks. The vapor used in such products can contain carcinogens and heavy metals, as well as nicotine, which health officials say can be highly toxic to developing adolescent brains. Last year, Rosenblum announced that Oregon would be leading an ongoing 39 state investigation into nicotine pod manufacturer Juul Labs into claims that their marketing material specifically targets children. Clackamas High School was vandalized in a hate crime. On Monday, the doors of the school were found plastered with Donald Trump stickers. Beans had also been littered at the doors as a derogatory symbol against Latinx people. Clackamas High School principal Nate Munez made a statement in a video posted to Instagram. He said the incident likely started as a prank. Principal Moniz also said, quote, families, students, staff, I'm sorry. This is not something you should ever have to deal with, but it is the reality. It has been our reality for a long time and unfortunately it will probably continue to be our reality. We have to keep fighting that reality and we have to keep standing up to hate. He added, quote, That type of rhetoric is not welcome in Clackamas High School. The school said it would hold forums for students to voice their thoughts on the incident and that it would continue teaching students about the impact of hate speech. Good news is the Trailblazers are returning to the Moda Center where higher attendance numbers have been cleared for the Western Conference playoffs. Game three of the first round of the NBA playoffs between the Blazers and the Denver Nuggets set to take place tonight in Portland. The in-person attendance allowance has been increased to 8,000 fans inside the Moda Center from the 1,900 who were allowed to attend the team's last four home games. Blazers suffered a disappointing loss in Denver during the second game of the series on Tuesday in front of 7,727 Nuggets fans. Players and fans are hoping an increased audience of supporters in the stadium will help elevate the Blazers during games three and four of the series on their home turf. The series is currently split one-to-one between the two teams after the first two contests were played in Denver. And that's today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. X-ray. Last year, the Black Resilience Fund raised and distributed over $2.1 million in financial relief to 7,100 Black Portlanders. Here to talk about the Black Resilience Fund is Cameron Witten.
1: Last year, the Black Resilience Fund raised and distributed over $2.1 million in financial relief to 7,100 Black Portlanders. Here to talk about the Black Resilience Fund is Cameron Witten. Thank you for having me. It is my pleasure. I am so happy to have you here. For for listeners who might be unfamiliar with the fund, can you tell us a little bit about it and how did it start?
2: Of course, Christine. A Black Resilience Fund is a community movement that was born right here in Portland, our city of Bridges. And it's dedicated to fostering healing and resilience by providing direct and immediate financial assistance to Black Portlanders, to our neighbors. And we were created in the wake of George Floyd's murder. And it was really a a space for Portlanders, who were grieving, who were looking to take action, to come together and to do something tangible for Black Portlanders. And in the end, we did so much. We supported thousands of our neighbors. And we're here today, you know, acknowledging the work that we've done and realizing there is so much more we have to do. Mm. And so Black Resilience Fund is here today to say we will always be here for Black Portlanders in need. And we are just inviting our
1: community to join us. Uh, So Cameron, uh, before we get into, I want to talk about who some of these Portlanders are and what their stories are in terms of uh, your helping them out. But um, I'm just stunned by the amount of money you've raised and distributed. Um, And So first off, tell us where listeners can go to find out more, to donate, and also to maybe get help.
2: Yes. Uh, please go to our website, blackbrazilianfund.com. There's information there about applying for funds and also information to donate. Uh, this is truly a community-driven effort, and so every dollar we raise is money that goes directly to the Black Portlanders, and we can't do this without the support of Portlanders. Uh, Black Lanes Fund last year was uh, thrilled to have the support of over 18,000 individual donors. And so we truly are just looking to make this summer a community effort um, and really just inviting all Portlanders of all background to get involved.
1: So uh, let's step back. Uh, as we mentioned, over 7000 black Portlanders received direct financial assistance since June one year ago. Can you tell me about some of them? What are their stories? Who are these these folks that you've helped? Yes, Christine, um,
2: we have served the entire, you know, African diaspora, we have had elders, we've had young folks, moms,
0: immigrants,
2: LGBTQ folks, uh, truly every shape and shade of black uh, that we've served in the metro region. So, you know, three counties around Portland, also Clark County, and we've heard so many stories. Uh, We have heard stories of people who have suffered loss with their, within their own families. We've had stories about people who have lost livelihoods and income due to COVID. Uh, we have folks who have gotten COVID. Uh, you know, there have been so many stories. Uh, for us, what's been most important is highlighting the resilience of our communities. Folks who have been fighting every single day for a better future for themselves and a better future for their families. And uh, that's the beauty of the Black Resilience Fund. for us, every step of the way, community comes first. That's also part of the unique structure that we have, where our mission is to provide real and tangible support to as many Black folks as possible. And so uh, every person is, is pitching in. Our Black folks, you know, they know that they're getting $300, which might not pay for all of their financial needs, but they also know that Uh, other Black folks in their community are also participating. Uh, We we did a a survey with Princeton University last year, and uh, 82% of all respondents said, we want to see this fund support as many Black Portlanders as possible. And so uh, from our donors to our recipients, everyone realizes that we can pitch in and we can all be a part of this.
1: Our guest is Cameron Witten with the Black Resilience Fund. Just a technical note, Cameron, you're sort of moving in and out. Your sound is a little difficult to hear. Um, If you're on the phone, if you could just hold it close to your mouth. Um, So moving on from that, uh, there's a great, on your website, um, which is blackresiliencefund.com, there's a great pie chart. And, and... What I find interesting is that this is money that really gets down to people's daily lives. A majority of the money that you have helped, uh, that you have given, it says on your website $2,149,819.81 has been distributed this year. And a majority of it has gone to groceries, rent, electricity, and water. So these are the fundamental Basics to help people get by every day. How do you, um, how does someone uh, not only apply, but, but, but what made you th- realize that these are things that we need to get down to the basics? This is not about some big, huge program, you know, this is about taking it one individual at a time and mm-hmm. really helping with getting by on a daily basis.
2: Thank you, Christine. It's a, it's a great question. And again, for Black Resilience Fund, community comes first. Uh, we didn't go out and say, these are the things that you must spend funding on. Uh, we trust Black Portlanders to do what they need to do to take care of themselves and live their best lives. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, is that uh, our nonprofit landscape, you know, and our government partners, we were not ready for this crisis, we were not ready for this pandemic. Uh, You know, I've been doing nonprofit work for for a decade here in Portland. And, you know, oftentimes we spend a lot of resources, you know, building strategic plans, building infrastructure, uh, building a lot of bureaucracy and red tape in how we deliver aid Mm -hmm. to neighbors in need. And when this pandemic hit, we needed to move a lot of funding very quickly and we found that we couldn't do it. We didn't have the systems in place to be able to provide this assistance while also navigating this red tape, which is fundamentally meant to slow things down. Mm. And so we decided that Black Resilience Fund, we could not be the reason why a family goes hungry. That was the biggest thing for us. Wow. So we knew our model, which might, sound radical, but it's really simple and it's effective, and that is giving folks direct financial assistance as responsibly, as quickly as possible, and trusting them to do what they need to do to take care of themselves. And so we were able to move, you know, $2.1 million much faster than we've been able to do with other programs that we've gotten assistance from the, from the government for. Um, and so for us, we are really continuing to raise awareness to our community that if we really want to have economic and racial justice in Portland, we have to start doing community aid differently. Mm. We know the benefits that it has for our community members that we serve, but we also know for our organizations, for our, you know, public agencies, it is going to save us on time. And it's also going to save us on money that we're currently throwing at bureaucrats and infrastructure that doesn't even work. And so, uh, yeah community comes first and our hope is that we can continue to show even you know as this pandemic uh hopefully subsides that we still need to look at models like this that are putting community first and are getting aid directly to people as quickly as possible
1: i love that cutting through the red tape i was astonished to look at uh the the facts and figures to see how much money you were able to distribute over just one year it's really commendable. Um, are there other organizations that the Black Resilience Fund is partnered with?
2: Yes, we have partnered with many local organizations. We've been so grateful to see a lot of community orgs band together during this pandemic. I'll give a special shout out to our friends at Equal Giving Circle. Uh, they are in many ways uh, a sister organization to the Black Resilience Fund. They had their one-year anniversary back in March, so they started in response to to COVID and. You know, their work really started with uh, food justice, uh, not only providing direct food relief to, you know, black, brown, and indigenous families, but also raising funds to purchase this food from black, brown, indigenous farmers to really create that circle of equity where everyone is being raised up. Right on.
1: I love that. I love that. Uh, so, So besides the Resilience Fund, Well, actually, I want to get to, we've only got about two minutes or three minutes left. I want you to tell us about the 2021 campaign. Um, What are its goals? How are are they different from last year's? And how can listeners contribute or apply? Again, Cameron Witten, Black Resilience Fund.
2: Thank you, Christine. So uh, one year anniversary of Black Resilience Fund. And we know that Black Portlanders are still struggling to survive this pandemic. And we are still having to grapple with generations of unresolved pain, suffering, and injustice, uh, Black Resilience Fund will always be here for Black Portlanders in need. And we are calling for folks because we need additional support to continue to foster resilience and he- healing in our communities. And so we have an ambitious goal to raise an additional $1 million this year, 2021. We know that we can do it. We've done it before, and we call on Portlanders to keep showing up. The reality is that you know polls have been showing that public support for Black Lives Matter is on the decline. A uh, 538 posted a poll uh, last month that showed a 10 point decrease in support for Black Lives Matter in our nation. Uh, so we know that these this we know that we're going to face challenges. The reality is is that Black Lives Matter it's not a tagline. It's not it's more than a movement. You mm-hmm. know Black Lives Matter is our neighbors. It's our friends. It's our family. And so we're here to say, you know, our black neighbors need us to show up to be that community that we always deserve and we know that we can be. And so we encourage everyone to join us for our 2021 campaign. Help us raise a million dollars. Go to
1: BlackResilienceFund.com. Dot com. BlackResilienceFund.com. Just Google it and you can find it. Um, I want to thank you so much, Cameron Witten, not only for the work you do, and are doing. Um, you really have something to be proud of in what you've accomplished over the last year. Thank you for being a guest today, and, and um, go for it with 2021. We're excited to have you here in Portland. Thank you, Christine. Have a joyful day. You too. Take care, y'all. Thanks, Cameron. All right, that was Cameron Witten, Black Resilience Fund. Go to blackresiliencefund.com to donate or to
0: get help if you need it. Thanks to Cameron for joining The Local. And thank you for listening to The Local, your hometown, in just about 30 minutes. And thank you, democracy. We're going to be taking a break over the long weekend, and we'll be back on Tuesday. Have a wonderful weekend and Memorial Day, everyone. We'll talk to you soon. X-Ray.